Good evening, everyone. Everything went well today? Yeah. Nice day. I had a nice meeting this morning. So tonight we'll just open the floor for questions. Are there any questions? Yes. I was reading recently, this is in the Acha the sixth chapter about Raghunath Das. There are these two verses that seemed interesting to me. They were talking about, <laughs> <laughs> well, one said, it, when Krishna was feeling separation from Radharani, then he got happiness from the Subal, just like, mm-hmm. same way Goram would get happiness from Ramananda Roy. And then the next one said, when Radharani was feeling separation from Krishna, mm-hmm. her constant companion, Lalita, would keep her, I think, alive or something. And similarly, when Garanga was feeling Radharani's feelings, then Saroop Damodar would help him out. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was kind of, I mean, in one way they, they just struck me, and I thought, wow, that's pretty wonderful. But the the mentioning of Subal and Ramananda Roy, it seems like consistently there's Alita's mentioned with Sri Damodar that we hear all kinds of things with not all kinds, but more varieties of things in relation to Ramananda Roy. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what's your take on these. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm familiar with that. Um, this is more of an internal question. For persons who have a little more familiarity with um, our tradition and so forth. Um, so I'm going to answer as briefly as I can and try to give a little bit of, well, might not be that brief then, but I'll try to give a little <laughs> background to bring others in. And this is a, you know, a, a dilemma that we encounter too high for some, too low for others uh, in a mixed audience of persons who have been involved for many years, like yourself, and persons who are coming for the first time to see how weird we are. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so um, the question is about some poetry, um, originally written in, uh, in Bengali, which is the um, area, province, within Bharat or India, where Sri Chaitanya um, appeared in the world about uh, over five, five centuries ago. And um, <clears throat> we talked a little bit about him quite a bit this morning and a little bit last night as well when we were talking about different mystics from different traditions and so forth. And um, the we highlighted the fact that uh, Sri Chaitanya could be distinguished in ways from other mystics by the measure of his um, ecstasy that uh, so much played out. Um, very extraordinary uh, figure in the history of the uh, um, mystical uh, traditions, which are there in every major um, religious tradition. I think you have a religious orientation and you have a mystical orientation within Islam. You have the Sufis. uh, uh, Within um, uh, Christianity, at least 
amongst the Catholics in the beginning there are many mystics <laughs> saints and so forth uh, and uh, so on so um, and of course Hinduism is particularly rich with its uh, mystics um, but in all of these traditions major traditions you have kind of as I say a religious orientation and a mystical orientation and often unfortunately they're at odds with one another hmm? the, the, the Jewish people are said to have crucified the, the Jesus of, of Nazareth who was arguably a mystic arising out of their own tradition so the, the tradition is understood in a certain way um, from a kind of a, a religious perspective where kind of spirituality is an add-on to your life to improve it which is a kind of a folly uh, I mean relatively so I suppose but it um, you know what you do there's a nice poem from the Bhagavad Ayurharati Vaipum Sam Udyanastanjayanaso Bhartaya. It says that the um, with the rising and the setting of the sun Ayurharati Udyanastanjayanaso Ayur, you know Ayurveda um, it's a life science hmm? from the Veda, from the uh, sacred texts of the Hindus. Um, you know, an approach to, to, to medicine, to healing, and so forth. So Ayur means life, Ayur Harati. Harati means to take away. Ayur Harati by Pumsam. Pumsam means like all people. So with the rising and the setting of the sun, everyone's life is being taken away. It's very beautiful. <laughs> it's... Uh, uh, um, a, uh, a way of looking at the world and its beauty that takes us a little deeper hmm? rather than a surface beauty of the sunset and the sunrise you know we used to watch it when we were kids with in California with uh, we used to augment the experience a little bit you know um, for, for colors and uh, you know display for the eyes and so forth but uh, <laughs> but um, but it's speaking to us actually nature is actually talking to us and telling us if we were to pay attention some very important lessons could be learned right mm. but of course when we approach nature with a view to consciously or unconsciously to exploit her for our purposes, for an identity that is arising out of our attachment to the comings and goings of, 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 of the movements of nature. For a moment, something stands still and we think we can grab onto it. And we can even call it ours. <laughs> um, but uh, nature doesn't agree with that proposal. But my point is that we can approach nature with a view to sustain our sense of identity that is fleeting, hmm? that has arisen new out of our attachments. I often say our sense of I, materially speaking, is derived from our sense of my. What I think is mine added up 
that's where the I, what the I arises out of. And of course, nothing is mine, really. So the I that arises out of that is not a very stable, uh, not one you can rely upon. Hmm? But nonetheless, that's the picture of ourself largely that we have. And we try to protect it because it needs to be protected. It's it's not going to last. I mean, it, it's there's this there's this there's a sense an underlying sense that it may not endure. Well, it's it's true. <laughs> and the sun is rising and setting, telling us that if we look carefully. But if we don't stop uh, from trying to take from nature, which is creating this false identity, and we we, we are a little less aggressive, then nature may speak to us and we may hear her saying things that otherwise we, we cannot. Hmm? And so the Rishis, mystics, this is a nice verse that speaks about how they were looking at the natural environment and it was the sun was speaking to them, Ayurharati. Hmm? With the rising and the setting of the sun, your life is being taken away at every moment. But then it goes on to say, But there's a way to counteract that at the same time. Hmm? And it says basically by doing kirtan, hmm? which we were just doing kirtan. It's the invoking the, the divine uh, logos, if you will. Hmm? We go over the sun's head, so to speak. And by connecting with our source, we understand our place in the present and we're no longer a taker from material nature, but a giver. Hmm? So she backs off, so to speak, and then serves, acts in such a way as to facilitate our spiritual practice by giving us lessons and speaking to us in ways that otherwise we weren't ready to hear. Hmm? So it's a very beautiful uh, idea. Um, to how to animate nature and, and uh, the power to animate the inanimate and what appears to be inanimate cause her to talk to us and tell us her secrets and of course her deepest secret the deepest secret of nature is that she has a soul and it's you she has an atma in other words this body is a microcosm right of the entirety of nature and there's something animating it and it's 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 the real i the real i not the false i but the real i the real self Hmm. And nature can turn us in the direction of that self. Hmm. And in doing so, turn us towards our source where we can get answers about qualitative questions like meaning, purpose. I mentioned this last night value. Why? Why am I? Nature can answer qualitative questions because she's quantitative in nature. But that's a question for consciousness. And the fact that we units of consciousness are asking such questions without thinking about it, we are as humans a big why. Why am I? Hmm? Um, the fact that we're asking that indicates that although we are a unit of consciousness, we're small and prone to a situation in which um, our knowing and our capacity to love and our very being that is sought uh, and cannot be uh, 
destroyed, if you will, is is lost. It's something like if you sit down and you turn on the television, you give the television a life, but the television could take over your life mm-hmm. at the same time. So the consciousness turns on the world, but we are all just sparks of the fire of consciousness. You know, it's possible that the world could take over our lives with the smoke hmm, and cover this, the spark in our illuminating capacity hmm, so that we identified more with the smoke and more in the dark than we are in the light. But nature can either through um, can provide us with negative impetus Ariharati by Pumsam it's taking away our life it's uh, and so forth to move in another direction and the direction is towards from ourselves to our source there we can get answers hmm? qualitative about, about the quality, meaning, purpose, value of life and so forth so of course that's what spiritual practice is about and um, this is going to be a long answer if I continue like this with a way out on a, on a tangent but it's, it is interesting and so um, there's a little background there um, and, and so the uh, um, uh, we were talking then about um, Sri Chaitanya and his appearance in, in Bengal and our tradition issues forth from uh, his persona so to speak and how he is one of any number of mystics we could say in different traditions but we were talking a little bit about him in terms of the ecstasy that he uh, embodies that uh, is, is a distinguishing characteristic if you will from other mystics we were talking a little bit about this last night. And the question, of course, is from a book written in Bengali uh, about 500 years ago that is a narrative of his uh, life that is um, uh, at the same time um, an uh, exposition on his... Uh, the the, the kind of philosophical and theological underpinnings of that uh, personification of ecstasy. What's it all about? Uh, What are the implications of what you could see uh, visibly in him? And uh, the mystics in our tradition uh, referred to the larger body of the sacred texts of the Hindus and they located that ecstasy on the map there, if you will, and so they, they, they've written about it considerably. So the question is from that book, a couple of poems in uh, in Bengali, and the later part of that text, which is uh, speaking about the life of Chaitanya at a point where his ecstasy became so uh, pronounced that um, he, he could no longer um, um, be active as a public figure he he was his internal uh, states of absorption were so overwhelming hmm, that he 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 could he, he couldn't come out to quasi normal consciousness and and, and communicate and so forth um, n- not only that but just to 
we were talking a little bit about bhava. Bhava is a is a Sanskrit word that means um, here uh, it means ecstasy. So in the uh, there is uh, our tradition is because Chaitanya is such an embodiment of ecstasy. It's kind of like one of the um, um, how would you say um, contributions of our lineage to have a, a very in-depth analysis of the nature of ecstasy, how, how it can appear in different, uh, uh, to different extents as a shadow of actual ecstasy, as a reflection of actual uh, ecstasy, chai, bhava bhas, pratibhimba, bhava bhas, different types of bhav, how it can um, um, be uh, come for a, a moment a, a day, a week, a month, and 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 recede, and how it can come on in a permanent sense and, and to different degrees, and how it will may express itself externally in bodily transformations, and um, and then internal, um, subjective, with no external um, symptoms, type of ecstasy, sanchari bhavas, stai bhavas. Um, 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 Bhavas, expressions of bhavas physically that have that are combined with intentionality, and those that are without any intention but involuntarily arise. So it's a whole huge subject for us, and that given the person of of Sri Chaitanya, that in which extraordinary symptoms appeared and so forth. Um, for, we were talking about bhavas. So the way uh, this morning, sattvika bhavas, for example, these are involuntary um, expressions. Of ecstasy that uh, are a result of this um, when when bhakti bhakti we we understand bhakti not to be a um, something from this world hmm? this world is driven by karma or by rajas uh, rajas me is that uh, we analyze nature um, in terms, in a, in a broad sense, in terms of having three modes of operandi, modus operandus, three modes of acting, of 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 of, of um, um, influencing us. So tamas, sat, rajas, sattva. It means like um, inertia, hmm? tamas. Rajas is, is movement, sattva is clarity, or sattva is virtue, goodness. Uh, rajas is, is is acquisition, and uh, the pursuit of improving one's material position and so forth. Thomas is sleep and uh, lethargy and intoxication and so forth it's unproductive and and so forth so you know so from our perspective we drive down the street and we see the billboard we see sattva we see rajas we see thomas and mostly rajas and thomas mostly thomas yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so forth so uh, <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah so so uh, Amongst the the influences, the three uh, uh, 
the drive for material improvement, if you will, um, that uh, we find in, in all of us is governed by rajas. And um, the drive, let's say, for virtue for its own sake is driven by, by sattva. So sattva also is synonymous with, with, with knowledge, with clarity and of perspective and so forth. Um, so if we are under the influence largely of sattva, then it's a hard for us to relate to a world in which th- things don't endure, or it's hard for us to relate to the idea of chasing after things that don't endure when our clarity of thought leads us to understand that we want enduring life, hmm? enduring and happy life. So if I'm chasing after things that don't endure and inherently have no happiness in them themselves, hmm? that's kind of dumb. Hmm? <laughs> that this it's a recipe for problems. If I pursue things that don't endure, when actually I'm pursuing enduring life, uh, and if the things I that I think I'm getting happiness from because I've acquired them, when they demonstrate to me that I don't really own them <laughs> by changing hands or just disintegrating or causing me more problems than than than, than the difficulty I endure trying to get them, <laughs> then it, it's more problematic. So. Uh, in two words, Krishna summed up the in the Gita, the material world. He told his his uh, friend, the warrior Arjun, that the nature of this world is like the Buddha said, dukkha. It's full of suffering. Nukalayam. And it was as if Arjun paused for a moment and said, "Yeah, but I, I kind of like some parts of it." And and Krishna comes back with the next word, ashashvatam, which means you can't keep it. You cannot keep anything. So the more you like it, the more troublesome it is. Because the more you like a thing, when you have to lose it, then the greater your disappointment. So in our material life, we, in one sense, we basically do two things, I would say. We, we pursue happiness, and that largely through acquisition, the thought of adding things to my life is going to make it better. I'm going to be when I'm feeling there's some lacking in me. So if I add something, my life will improve and I'll be happier. Hmm? That's one side. We try to we try to acquire, but our acquisition never fully um, pays off, so to speak. It, it doesn't really turn out to be. Um, as good as we thought it, it would, and even if it's great, well, it, it could all fall apart at, at, at any time, uh, and at some point it will, as I'm saying. So the other side of the other track, if we will, that our life moves on is, for one thing, for ac- one track is acquisition, and the other is is letting go, Af- at tr- trying to acquire things trying to get away from things. Hmm? 
which in Sanskrit is called boga and tyag. Boga means to try to enjoy the world by acquiring it as much as I can get, as big of a piece as I could could acquire, with as big a fence as I could build around it. Uh, and then the other side is is to is to when it doesn't turn out to be as good as I hoped, I want to get away from it. So everyone's buying an, a new house for themselves, which is they can't wait to get, and somebody else just can't wait to get rid of it. That's the way it works here. We're just living on the remnants of one another here, and, and no wonder it's not what it appears to be on, on the surface. So these two tendencies to, to chase after the world or try to get away from the world, try to get things or get a, try to get away from things. Hmm? In the sacred texts of the Hindus, there's systems by which you can hone the acquisition and which by which you can hone the renunciation, the the detachment, in a way that in the context of doing that, something else is, is embedded in that process. It gives you much more than the acquisition and much more than the renunciation unto itself. For example, you're taught in the Veda that if you want to acquire this, that, or the other thing, you can perform this sacrifice, and so there's a little giving that has to take place. Hmm? in order for the getting. The big picture is the getting, and the giving is small in comparison, but one learns that, that, that the getting comes from giving. Ultimately, of course, you're supposed to supposed to turn to the getting. The giving is the getting. That's the other end of the spectrum, right? Hmm? Um, so, anyway, the path of karma, which is the path of material improvement, hmm? which is kind of an oxymoron in itself, um, is governed by 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 rajas. Hmm? So in and of itself, therefore, being governed by one of the um, influences, binding influences of, of, of nature, it can't give us liberation, mukti, freedom. Hmm? Karma can't give us mukti. Karma is, the, is what's is, is is our bondage. Karma is the fruits that we're reaping from our seeds of taking, hmm? feeling, lacking, we're on the take. Hmm? We're hunting and look over your shoulder. You're being hunted also. Jivo jivasya jivanam, as Darwin said. One living being is food for another. It's kind of a, that's true. That's not the whole picture. Hmm? That, that's the way the world is. It's working. So the path of karma, we could acquire extraordinary uh, things and possibilities in life through that path, but but none of them will last, however long of a life you may acquire by that. Hmm. And then the path of jnana, or knowledge, which is the detachment from things, to take the mind off of things. Hmm. And turn it inward, right? As to to the self, rather than trying to be pleasured, be secure, um, be uh, in the know. Stop trying to be what you already are a unit of. You are a unit of being, knowing, 
loving Satchit Ananda. So, to be a contemplative. So the, the two paths, when they, they kind of cancel one another out. Because if you're acting in relation to things that don't endure, that's a kind of ignorance. So there's not much room for knowledge to be there in the presence of ignorance. And in the presence of knowledge, then there's not much room for that action that constitutes ignorance. So from the active life to the contemplative life. Hmm? Right? And the contemplative life is governed by sattva. Hmm? This gives clarity of thought, insight, into the Socratic kind of perspective. Hmm? On, on what I am is more than what meets the eye and the mind. Right? Hmm? Um, but sattva is also an influence of this world. It's, a, it's an influence of the world that is gives clarity and uh, it's about virtue and so forth and it can give a perspective of what I need to do from here to get out of the whole predicament which sattva unto itself can't do because it's an influence of the world. Hmm? So bhakti, on the other hand, and to give a simple English rendering, but let's say love, I said action cancels out knowledge in the true sense of the term, and knowledge cancels out action, right? Hmm? If I have knowledge, I'm not going to act in relation to things that don't endure in the pursuit of enduring life. That's ignorance. So, Knowledge and ignorance, they don't go together. So if you, the contemplative life lacks action, the active life lacks contemplation, hmm? introspection. But in love, there's both action and there's also knowing, both things. Hmm? Are combined. In order to love, well, you have to do something, right? Hmm? <laughs> love is born from the womb of sacrifice. Uh, any mother will, you know, tell you that, hmm? right? Hmm? Love is born from the womb of the Jesus of Nazareth. There he is, and the sacrifice, and the, so in that tradition, it's the, and the love for the God that came to the world through the sacrifice, and so the teaching should be. That everybody sh- that life proceeds in a positive sense by sacrifice, by giving. In other words, hmm? we would think that by logic, that per- perhaps by math, that by giving we would lose. Right? If we have ten, we give five. We only have five left. Hmm? But the fact of the matter is, very mystically and transrationally, if we think about it, we realize. The giving, we actually grow. We don't have something to hold up afterwards and show it to everybody. See, I got, I got a reward over here because I gave. That would be a very crude form of giving. Where one is, uh, but to give, the more we give without expectation of return, the more we grow. The self expands by giving, hmm? and people can see it. He's, she's a big person. He's a big person because they're giving. Whether it be a ter- Mother Teresa or a, a Gandhi, they're different. Ways of giving, of course, the mysticism ultimately is 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 the full uh, face of 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 of, uh, of giving, especially in the bhakti love um, tradition, right? So, so uh, that which gives power to action and the clarity from contemplative life to take one out of the illusion of material existence 
has to come from outside of the illusion. That's bhakti. So we see bhakti as a shakti of the of the Godhead, a particular shakti, a power. Shakti means like a, like an energy. So for energy, you need to have an energetic, right? Let's give an example. Fire, and has energy of heat and light. Okay. Now the two are like one, but they're also kind of different. Uh, there's a unity and a diversity to a fire, and its heat and light. Hmm? Right. If we were to play this analogy out, I've done it other times briefly. We say the fire is the Godhead. Then it has heat and light, it has sparks, and it has smoke. Hmm? So heat and light, the sparks and the smoke, constitute three energies of the energetic fire. Hmm? The fire is generating energy. Hmm? So there's a, there's a there's the generating power, and then there's the energy that derives from it. Hmm? We could talk about the energy and the things that you can do with it. We could talk about the source that generates it, what it's like, and so forth, right? And really, to understand the source comprehensively, we would have to look at what it generates and what can be done with it, and so forth, and we can appreciate it better. So to know the Shakti and Shaktiman, the energetic, the energy and the energetic, this is for example, Radha and Krishna. So Radha is the Shakti, the inner Shakti of Bhagavan, Krishna, who is the Devi, the goddess of Bhakti. But, just for a moment, that analogy of the fire, which has heat and light, sparks and smoke, I said, three Shaktis are here. The heat and light is one Shakti. That's internal to the fire, so to speak. The sparks can come out, right? And they're very small. They're luminous like the fire, but they're very small. And then there's smoke, which is a, which is the, what would you say? Opaque. You can't, it's dark, right? Now the smoke can't cover the fire. It could cover a spark. Hmm? So in this analogy, the, smart, the smoke is what we call like Maya Shakti, the power of illusion that we're all under. Hmm? We're deluded. And, and we are like the spark. Hmm? Now the spark doesn't go out. I mean, analogies are imperfect, but, <laughs> but, but it could be covered by the smoke. Hmm? And its illuminating capacity could be obscured by the smoke. And it doesn't have a huge illuminating capacity unto itself. Spark is one with the fire, but it's different too because you can't heat your house with a spark or, or cook with it as you could with fire. So we are like the spark. We could live in the smoke, which was not optimum for us, or we could live in the fire. Hmm? where our, our capital, illuminating capital, would be increased, right? Hmm? So, meanwhile, while you have the Maya Shakti, then you have the Jiva Shakti, which is the Atma, all these sparks, all of ourselves, 
Hmm? We're not the whole picture. As if we were, we wouldn't be in any illusion that we find ourselves. So there's there, there's something <laughs> about us that uh, requires some <laughs> some uh, some teaching, if you will, to help us. So that teacher, then this is the this is the in the analogy the heat and the light. Heat and light represents light represents luminosity. It means like knowing, hmm. right? Like if you want to make a drawing. A, Boring. There's a light bulb. I've got an idea. I've got a, and then, so there's knowing, and then there's the light, and the heat is like feeling, hmm? feeling, hmm? affection, this kind of feeling, love, warmth, right? Hmm? You feel comforted by the warmth. So this, this heat and light, which is never never leaves the fire. The smoke seems to be separate from the fire. The spark seems to be separate from the, not entirely separate, they're entirely dependent upon the fire for their existence. But this but this heat and light is like always with the fire. Hmm? So this is called the, the, uh, the bhakti, shakti. Hmm? It is constituted of affection, love for its source. Hmm? And that love is is wise. It's luminous. It's 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 enlightened love. After all, it's love reposed in a place where it will be most fruitful. Hmm? If you were to give, if you if you wanted to uh, water, if you wanted to nourish a flower on a tree, where would you pour the water? Where? on the root that would be wise if you were unwise even though you had good intentions you might pour it on each flower and it would be pretty laborious and and it wouldn't work hmm? right if you want to nourish the body through food anamoy hmm? we are food it's a beginning idea we are food anamoy so if you want to nourish the body, it's made of food, add food to it, where are you going to put it? You could put it in, there's a lot of different holes that you could try. Hmm? Um, but this one here, the mouth, works in such a way that by swallowing, with the help of the throat, it goes to one place that can do justice to the food by the stomach, that is, by way of mystically transforming that food and distributing its power to all parts of the body. So these analogies are there to help us to appreciate the point that if we want to give, which is how life proceeds in a progressive and positive way, we should hone our giving tendency by way of finding that place where we can repose it that it will be most fruitful. If we're going to give unlimitedly, we have to find something that has the capacity to take unlimitedly. Sometimes we give as much as we can to an object that can't take it. Hmm? Sometimes our kids can't take all the love we want to give them, and so it's a recipe for frustration. I wanted to love them, but I didn't experience in that that the giving was the receiving. I, I kind of got rebuffed, in fact. And uh, that happens at a certain age, usually, but I get over it. 
So um, just a, a crude example. Hmm? And there are many places where we try to repose our love, and you know, might as well try some. But if you get wisdom from good, good company, the seers, the mystics, then, then they're to our source. And the source in our tradition, of course, is depicted as the enjoyer, Krishna, the lover, the romantic heart of the absolute. And he's always with Radha, who is the Devi, the goddess of Bhakti. So she. She is the love, that he is the object that that love corresponds with. So if you have love, you have to have an object that you repose it in. Hmm? Um, and the two give meaning to one another, just like a student gives meaning to the teacher. Teacher gives meaning to the student. You need them both, right? Hmm? So for love, you need an object to love hmm? that corresponds with the love that you're giving. So Krishna is the thought to be the perfect object of love and Radha is the embodiment of the love. She is the bhakti. So the two as Shakti, Radha, and Shaktiman, energy and energetic Krishna, they're one and different, like heat and light are one and different from fire, something like that. And if we come in touch with bhakti, which comes to this world through, through through the channel, like the succession of teachers and so forth. Hmm? We're talking about Sri Chaitanya and it's, uh, such a huge embodiment of bhakti and so forth. Um, um, and we're passing that uh, on. I described it last night like a like a waterfall of ecstasy that that his immediate uh, students turn into a lake that we could approach and and bathe in and and understand and uh, through through reason through um, philosophy and and then and then ultimately through practice hmm? transrational practice the chanting is reasonable but it's not a rational exercise it's an exercise to give your reasoning power at rest reason this far the reason has its limitations in terms of providing comprehensive knowing it should not be on the altar but it could help us go to the altar find the altar, can can assist us in that. I mean, we're using reasoning now to some extent. We're using something else too, but, which is meant to arrest your reasoning without you knowing it. <laughs> so the, the words can go from my heart into yours, capture it and bring about it. to create an impression there that will, will carry you and, and, and unknowingly you may revert to at times and then, then become a habit. We call it bhakti. Become a habit. Um, a way of a way of living, a way of moving. So so bhakti then is is a is a power, a shakti of the Godhead. And 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 bhakti kinda of does us more than we do bhakti. Hmm? That's the experience you start to get after a while. Bhakti is doing me, and uh, and it's 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 enriching me in ways that unto myself I could not. It's 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 like it's kind of like the way a young man maybe gets enriched by finding the girl of his dreams, and he feels more full, or the lady feels more full finding the prince charming. Hmm. He spends a lot on that wedding, but. Um, obscene actually but 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 uh 
um, we remain the same person, but we have a potential. So this, the spark that I said is, is the Atma has, is of a nature that lends itself to nurture. So we can be nurtured by bhakti. Our nature is that we can be nurtured by bhakti. And we can be more under her influence than we could independently of that. Like a person falling in love can feel and be more. Hmm? Right? So this is to fall in love with God. That's a very peculiar idea. Hmm? Right? I wrote an essay once, When God Falls in Love. That's another one. So this has to do with what we're talking about. Krishna is God fallen in love. That's peculiar. <laughs> He's fallen in love with Radha. So there's a there's a there's a there's a, a measure of bhakti that um, is akin to to Radha's bhakti, and the object of that bhakti is Krishna. And and if one receives that and and nurtures is nurtured by that and grows um, under its influence then one can transcend the material predicament and come, to use a mathematical analogy, from negative numbers of karma, not only to zero and the peace of being free, no one's chasing me anymore because I stopped taking, like the Buddha says, just peace, no no more suffering, nirvana. That's zero. Zero has a positive connotation in relation to negative numbers. But now to go into positive numbers. So peace and love, both things. Hmm. Love, again, requires movement and a kind of knowing. And so this is what we call Leela. Leela is movement that looks like karma, but it's driven by a different engine altogether. So there is movement in transcendence. So there is unity, there's a oneness, there's a non-duality that at the same time encompasses a, a, a diversity. It's a peculiar idea, but I'll give you an example. If you go to a pond, let's say you go to the forest and you find a beautiful, placid pond, it's just super peaceful, and you want to sit there and just like, I wish my mind was like that, just so peaceful, and it's helping my mind to become peaceful, to be here and look at the pond. Hmm. And then along, some kids come and they start throwing stones in the pond and stuff like that, and you go, oh, there goes the peace. Right? because all the ripples are going in different ways and, and so forth. Hmm. So next day you come to the pond and and it's the same beautiful, serene setting and just peaceful, calm. Hmm. But, uh, but you pick up a stone and you throw it in the pond. Now one stone in the pond doesn't spoil the peace. It actually enhances the peace. It causes these waves, concentric and uniform. It causes a movement hmm, that doesn't disturb the peace, but enhances the peace. And let's say I took another stone and I threw it in the exact same place and another one and another one and another one. Hmm? We are all these stones. If we all go in the same place. Hmm? Then the ripples will be peaceful. They won't be fighting with one another and so forth. So this is a, an analogy to help us understand the nature of transcendence as it can be experienced through bhakti. There's movement there. Now the movement of the lake is not separate from the lake. It's non-dual. Hmm? But, the, but the, the, the nature of the movement hmm, 
is that it, it constitutes a, a diversity within the unity, which is what love is about. Because in love, as I often say, you and I become we. It's a new thing. It's a third thing. It's a unity, but it's not that you disappear or I disappear. I take your heart, you take mine. We just trade them. Hmm? I live only for you, you live only for me. No, no problems. Hmm? Right? So, the, our school, the Bhakti school, is a school that, if you understand it philosophically, it has to play out in its ultimate destination in a kind of reciprocal relationship with the absolute, where the where the waves relate with the ponds. There's movement in transcendence, so we call that movement lila. We call it lila. Lila means drama. I mean, in a positive, like a drama, like a play. Hmm? So the lila is is like to give you another example. The Godhead, if if Brahman is a is a term Sanskrit used to refer to the absolute. So Brahman is like underlying everything, consciousness. Hmm? The world coming out of consciousness, instead of consciousness coming out of the world, of your brain. Hmm? But rather the brain and everything else coming out of consciousness. Hmm? So Brahman is everywhere. Now if you're everywhere, you can't move, right? Because you're already everywhere. <laughs> and so... If you are um, all pervasive, and then you're all knowing, all knowing also tends to freeze action because I already know <laughs> what'll happen. So I have no impetus to move. Hmm? So if I'm all knowing and I'm all pervasive, then I'm this pulsating, peaceful, underlying reality. Hmm. Right. So, attaining this feature, this face, if you will, of transcendence, hmm, is possible. There are there are methods for doing that. The result will be eternal peace, something like the Buddha was talking about, like a what we call maybe called Brahman Nirvana. So, peace, 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 peace. But again, in Love, there's also movement. So our tradition, if you follow it, it it naturally has to end up the logic of in a transcendent attainment in which there's 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 a kind of movement. There's love. So if Brahman is all pervasive and all knowing, then in order for it to interact with us, the spark, then and be influenced by our love, hmm? if Brahman is influenced by, by bhakti, hmm? by its internal shakti, then the mystery of all this is that it can that it somehow, although it's everywhere, it starts to move. How can you be everywhere and move? Therefore, we call it a drama. Hmm? It's not really moving, but it's really moving. Hmm? In the drama... You can say it's not really happening, but it really is happening, and it's happening to you and the seed who's watching it, and you're getting emotions and, and so forth, and you get transported into it, and and you live happily, happily ever after in the movie, and so 
there's this um, there's two ways of looking at the transcendence you, you can look at it strip it down and say at the bottom it's 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 non-dual but this is kind of an impoverished way of, of looking at it the more in, enhanced or enriched way is is that it, it it plays a drama somehow of moving we call it Leela and it's driven by bhakti by love hmm? so the question is about the nature of uh, that Leela and it's in specific part of the drama of the life of Radha and Krishna who are the hero and the heroine in the drama hmm? there there are lead there's a leading man there's a leading lady there are there are also um, um, supporting actors. supporting actors and actresses there's a whole setting hmm? everything and it's all made out of consciousness now, that's an interesting idea that consciousness could have form because we tend to think of consciousness without form and we think of form as a limitation but form can be as much a facilitator as it is a limitation let's say I'm an artist and I have some art inside of me hmm? in order for you to take advantage of that I need an easel I need an easel I need to give it some shape some form so the form is not limiting my abstract artistic sensibility it's facilitating it sharing it and expression of it and so forth hmm. right so form doesn't have to be a limitation and for that matter where does form come from form materially speaking comes from consciousness hmm. right there needs to be a conscious actor in order for matter to take a shape hmm. in a broad sense we say consciousness is behind the whole show and in a, in, a, in a microcosmic you know sense of our everyday life we know that for example this house has a shape because consciousness was projected on wood and concrete and nails and and so forth and so so consciousness makes material forms if you will so if consciousness was reposed back on itself and its source why not forms the constitutive consciousness this is a actually a liberating idea and it's a way in which consciousness can express itself in 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 in, in love hmm? so the the question is about deep within the leela the drama of radha and krishna that uh, we, we seek to enter into and become a player there a spark can go there it can be under the influence of the smoke or it could come under the influence of the heat and the fire heat and the heat and the light hmm? Hmm? and become enlightened and become with feeling hmm? let me give you another idea to help this appreciate this point hmm? here we're we're constrained by time and space right so if we want to go beyond time and space then we think of it there's no form there's no time right it's pretty broad and pretty accommodating comparatively because time and space means like my cell and my sentence 
you're doing time and you know there's a place where you do it hmm? and it doesn't go forever so time and space are our problem in a sense because we don't want to be confined by time and die or space hmm? collapse on us and so forth um, so um, so we <laughs> so to go beyond uh, time and space and um, um, I wanted to give you an idea of um, what was the point. So, um, too many thoughts. To, so, mm-hmm. yeah, form facilitate. So, so so anyway, time. Yeah, time and space constrain. So we want to go beyond time and space, and we have this, we're beyond form, hmm? material form, and beyond material time. So that's very accommodating comparatively. Now, when we start talking about worlds within transcendence, again, we start talking about form. We talked about Leela in terms of sequence and time having a role. All of a sudden, time and space seem to come back into the equation. Well, we just got rid of time and space. That was a problem. Hmm? So we talk about the form of, of Krishna, for example. Hmm? And the movement there. Here, movement's been a problem, right? I'm moving in relation to things. I, don't undo. I should sit, not move. If I was happy, why would I move? Hmm? So we went beyond time, form and time and space, and we're in a real spacious uh, accommodating in that sense space and then all of a sudden now in terms of bhakti this talk starts to be about spaces seems like almost like a geographical location almost uh, the, the place of the leela the dham the region and transcendence so are we getting back into material time and space here no what's what's being talked about in the worlds of leela is a more accommodating even space than a space devoid of form and individuality. It's more accommodating because it's one thing to be like on a desert and have all the space you want and go, whew, man, I got a lot of space here. I'm feeling feeling good. I got out of my little tiny apartment. And here I am on the desert, and as far as you can see, or out in this, I'm out at sea on my yacht, whatever, and it's just like peaceful out here. That's one thing. Hmm? That's accommodating. But after a while, it could be like, you know, is there anybody else around here? <laughs> uh, and so I could be loving it, but if I wanted to love more fully, there'd have to be some somebody to interact with. That's not a problem, right? right? So space becomes more accommodating with the addition as it becomes more affectionate. Indeed, indeed. Space is as of little concern as affection increases. To use a material example, if you love someone, you could live under a rock. You could live in the hollow of a tree. It wouldn't matter. However small the space is, and a lot of people are getting tiny homes. <laughs> right? 
because anyway, we got one another, and that's big. So when we talk about Leela, we're talking about moving into a, into a region where the Godhead transcendence is expressing affection. It's not just knowing, not just luminosity, but 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 feeling as well. And so this interaction and so forth. So Leela. So within anyway. So within the Leela of Radha and Krishna, and there are different kinds of leelas. Vishnu has leelas and and so forth. Uh, so uh, Krishna leela, hmm. Krishna leela, and and bhakti and kirtan is our way to go. There, our primary way. Kirtan is a limb of the school of bhakti. It's not a limb of yoga or gyan, but it's so nice that yoga people have incorporated it almost. And uh, and um, it's. Uh, hmm. It's intended for Vishnu, 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 Kirtan, according to the sacred text. So, in that Leela, there's Radha and Krishna, and they are the hero and the heroine of the whole Leela. It's a rural, pastoral um, setting, and there are many philosophical implications to draw from all of this. Of course, that small is big, and and so on and so forth. And it's an intimate setting. It's a setting where the infinite takes on a finite-like appearance in order to get close with the finite. We're all finite. God it is infinite. If we want to get close, then he has to appear in a finite-like way. Otherwise, we couldn't get too close. We'd think, oh my God, I'm next to the finite, infinite. I have to step back. Hmm? Right? So it's like pulling the curtain and finding the Wizard of Oz is just a guy. <laughs> There and he's pretty he's pretty cool, but I mean I thought he was something else, and you couldn't get close to him. Hmm? He's pretty nice actually. And what does he do? He helps. What's her name? Dorothy. Dorothy. What does she want to do? Go home. Go home. Right. <laughs> Show the way. So, so, so Krishna is the is is this Brahman. Hmm? Godhead, in human-like kind of appearance, in transcendence, and the love is so thick in that Leela that Krishna doesn't even know that he's God. He forgets by the power of... Then he remembers, and then he forgets, says the power of bhakti. So what to speak of the power of bhakti to dispel the illusion that we're experiencing? That's, a, that's just get rid of the smoke. Hmm? No big deal. It has the power to overwhelm Brahman and make him in it like like your son, like your friend, like like the lover hmm, of Radha. Hmm? So you know we think love of God in some type of you know Greek perspective as different than eros and it's, it has it's worshipful and reverential and so forth. This is a different idea where the reverential, even reverential love of God is transcended. That's a different Leela. This is a, another one that where the, the love is, 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 is as compelling as the love for your son or your, your friend or your, 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 your partner, which you think about even on church on Sunday, where you're, okay, God, and ding, you know, what's happening <laughs> back there in the house? You know? So that type of love... It's, you, you know the, the, the calling from the, your your daughter or something like that is is more powerful has more power. So why not have that kind of love for God that will be much more powerful? And what will it do to God? 
compared to this kind of love. Yeah, okay, they love me. Everybody's out there, they love me. It's lonely up here, though. I'd like to get down there and, you know, love with them. So this is the idea of Krishna Leela. That Krishna, that the God that is dethroned, so to speak, by the power of the love, and it is, is, is becomes in the hands of his, his devotees. Some people want to be God. That's really not possible, but you, you could conquer God through love, is the idea. That's very compelling. So in the heart of the Leela, these verses speak about, in the context of speaking about Chaitanya, who is, in our tradition, thought to be the, the to put it in simple terms, the avatar of Krishna and Radha combined, hmm? two in one. It's his, his, his appearance in the world has its origins in transcendence, where Krishna, in the context of the drama, the Leela, finds that Radha is so enthralled with him that he wonders what is it about him that she experiences that makes her the way she is, which makes her attractive to him. In other words, everyone is, he thinks, everybody worships me, I'm God. But what they don't know is, I worship her. Hmm? I'm, I feel like I'm, 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 I want to serve her. Now that will turn the yogis upside down on their heads. You know, what? Yeah. This is a, so. It's very peculiar. Of course, it's his own shakti. So it's it's just, they're the, both the Godhead, but this is this interplay of love, right? And so, so in the context of Leela, Krishna thinks like this. He thinks, if I could see myself from her point of view, her from her vantage point, I could find what it is in me that I that under myself I don't see that makes her the way she is, that makes her attractive to me. Hmm? Then my Capacity to taste love will be will, will be reach new heights, something like that. Hmm? So this is the 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 genesis of the avatar of Chaitanya, which is an emotional moment. The avatars are emotional moments in the life of the absolute. Imagine if you had an emotional moment and then it could just personify. Hmm? You could talk with it, something like that. These kind of possibilities in transcendence. So Chaitanya is the the avatar then of Krishna trying to step into the bhava of Radha hmm? and so Radha and Krishna combine and his whole Leela is a teaching from, uh, on earth, his appearance is a Leela also from beginning to end how to understand Krishna from Radha's vantage point hmm? and so it's a long story the whole Leela and you're talking about the very end of the Leela where Krishna is starting through... He, he, see, Chaitanya is also Krishna appearing in the mood of Radha, as, therefore as a devotee of Krishna. So he shows the way of devotion, the whole teaching. Kirtan is his method and so forth. So it becomes... The method of his madness is Kirtan and it, and it drives him transcendentally mad. And as I said, at this point he can't even function in relation to the external world. These these sattvika bhavas are the bhava is moving on the pran, the vital air. And when it touches the earth element in the body, paralysis occurs. 
when it touches the water element in the body, tears appear. When it touches the, the fire element, then perspiration and even perspiration of blood in extreme circumstances and changing the color of one's complexion. He turned pink from golden to pink. Hmm. can have pink hair but <laughs> today, but pink he turned by, through ecstasy and then other colors. Hmm. And then when, it, when, it, when, the, when the bhava um, touches the akash, either then there's fainting. Hmm. And when it rests on the air itself, then it causes hairs to stand on it, like horripilation, trembling, and uh, a kind of a, a kind of like, uh, how would you call it? Like a choked voice and so forth. So now these are all symptoms, physical expressions of ecstasy. They, they're also expressed materially. You could be f afraid and your hairs might stand on end and so forth. That's coming from material emotion. But this is coming from bhava that's the, 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 of bhakti that's descended into you and you've transcended the mind and emotions and now that which makes psychic matter like the mind, the capacity to have emotions is the atma itself. So it can have emotions. Hmm? So now it's having spiritual emotions and it's coming out and expressing itself through the body. Now I've spoken about eight expressions of these sattvika bhavas. And then in Chaitanya what we find, because we might find them in mystics here and there, weeping and, 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 and such. In him, all of these appeared all at the same time, magnified like hundreds of times, which made him, uh, uh, all of his limbs go within his body like a tortoise, hmm. uh, he fell into the ocean in, 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 in uh, ecstasy, underwater, was found underwater, still alive. And so, I mean, very, very uh, extraordinary. Uh, these are descriptions of numerous biographers of the time who were, did the whole of Bengal and, and a good part of India where he traveled were just like uh, overwhelmed by his uh, persona um, and and his personification of ecstasy that he was hmm? and so very extreme and it's all from from chanting it, you better watch out it, it, it can what it can do to you hmm? right and so at this time in his Leela he's he's like there's a couple of his devotees who are assisting him in his in his ecstasy and what is happening is again he's this is Krishna trying to step into the shoes of Radha. It's a peculiar idea and see himself from that vantage point. And it's in, it's causing all these transformations in his appearance you know, on, on earth. Now when, when Chaitanya comes, when Krishna and Radha and Krishna come as Chaitanya, out of that Leela, this other Leela occurs, right? We call it the Leela of Chaitanya, hmm? appearing in the world. And so as the hero and the heroine come, so the supporting actors also come. Hmm? And they are all the disciples of Chaitanya at the time and so forth. And they, they realize who they are. That we're in another Leela now. This is incredible, hmm? they're thinking. And this is what Krishna is trying to do. So we have to assist him in this Leela. Hmm? So <laughs> the verses that you're speaking about, are speaking about how one associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Ramananda, and another, Swarup, hmm? were assisting Chaitanya in his ecstasy 
in ways that were similar to how in Krishna's Leela, hmm, his friend, one of the supporting actors, Subal, assisted him, and how um, one of Radha's uh, close friends, uh, the uh, girlfriend, Lalita, um, was uh, assisting Radha. So Lalita's assisting Radha in the Leela, and Subal is assisting Krishna, for example, when in the drama, it's pretty complicated, but it's interesting, in the, in the context of the drama of the love life of Radha and Krishna, let's say, for example, there's something that causes separation in the Leela, some obstacle to their being together, because they're not supposed to be together, they're young, so there's, it's, it's part of the drama, right? So it enhances the intensity of the love. So when they're separated, then they feel the longing for one another very intensely. And so Krishna's closest friend, Subal, he will counsel him and, 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 and empathetically express empathetic love to Krishna and pacify him in some ways, chant Radha's name in his ear and so forth, and then make some arrangement by which they can meet secretly. And then Radha has her assistants, milkmaidens like herself. Lalita is one of the principal ones and she will minister to Radha and so forth. So so when Chaitanya comes as Radha and Krishna to the world, then, then Subal comes, his friend, Krishna's friend, and Lalita comes and they're in, they are appearing like like disciples of Chaitanya, something like that. And in this very esoteric moment, then they're assisting him in ways that the verse is saying parallels the way they did in the previous Leela. So it's very interesting because you look at the Chaitanya Leela and then you can see the Krishna Leela and there's this correspondence and it's very consuming. The peculiarity as an aside, uh, which is really what you're asking about, is that Ramananda, while he is identified in this way as Subal, Krishna's intimate friend, in a sense, in other places he's thought to be representing Krishna uh, or someone in Krishna Leela, other other personalities and so forth. So it means that these bhavas that they personify, these characters in the Leela, hmm, may come in one and it, we may find it and then identifying with that bhava in him, identifying him with a person, in a player in the Leela. Hmm. Another bhava may come and it's possible. So these are extraordinary um, players, if you will. They're not ordinary like us, and uh, and such possibilities uh, exist um, within them. Now, um, uh, so you'll find Kavikarnapur writes in one way about Ramananda. Um, um, Krishna Das, in his book, has 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 stated in, 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 seen him in that way and so forth. So there's they're they're contemplating it. There or some of them witnessing that. As they and then wrote about it, and and experiencing this possibility that in some cases more than one bhava will come at a certain instance and then be played out through that particular devotee. Does that help? Yeah. Well, that was a long answer, but I tried to bring everybody <laughs> into a really esoteric uh, kind of a question there. So.
it's very, as you can see, this is very theologically uh, fascinating, intriguing idea. And, and there's just like, if you want to talk about Brahman, there's nothing you can say. If you want to talk about Krishna, there's nothing you can't, there's nothing, you can't say enough. That's, uh, it's, uh, they both transcend words, that's a fact. But uh, one you can't say anything about, one you can't say enough about. Hmm? To do justice. Did I see a question come? Yeah. on what you just were explaining about kirtan and it being a method for attaining love for Krishna yeah. uh, transcending material nature mm-hmm. so would you say kirtan is the foremost topmost method of doing this well kirtan is, is, a, is a limb of the body of bhakti so like, like let's take yoga like take astanga yoga so it has its its angas its yama niyama you know brahmacharya <laughs> and others are the the limbs of the body of Astanga Yoga. There are other disciplines also uh, from the uh, Hindus, Hindus, and they have their angas, their limbs. So Kirtan is a limb of Bhakti. It's not listed in the Yoga Sutra as a limb, uh, a yama or a niyama of yoga. So it's really a anga of Bhakti, a limb of Bhakti. And it's a limb of what, what's called Vishnu Bhakti. So Vishnu and his avatars, like Ram and uh, so forth. Krishna, Ram, Vishnu, well, that's all the same person appearing in different ways, in different emotional states in relation to different types of devotees. Hmm. So it's the one appearing differently, corresponding with different types of love, different types of of bhakti. You had the reverential bhakti that I talked about, for example. Well, that, that's also a place for that. So Vishnu is the object of that kind of love, Narayan, and so so forth. So, so so kirtan is an anga, a limb of bhakti. Like in the Gita, Krishna says, "Satyam Krishna's talking about bhakti. Says, bhakti is characterized by by uh, my devotees. He says are characterized by always katayantascha they're always chanting, Satatam Kirtayantam, they're always chanting about me. They're always singing about me. Hmm? So this is the characteristic of the devotee. It's the principle, it's said that we live in Kali Yuga. So a time of hypocrisy and the quality of the time is that it's not really conducive to uh, to, to honesty even, what to speak of, you know, and that's central to spiritual life, to be honest with oneself. Um, so Kali Yuga is, is a, not a good time for that. But it's in each of the different Yugas or millennia of the Hindus, then there's a, there's, a, there's a practice that is suitable, most suitable for the quality of that time. So Kirtanareva Krishnas, yeah. So um, in Kali Yuga, the method is is thought to be kirtan, and it's said in so many texts, so many Puranas, the Upanishads, and and so forth. Hmm. So kirtan is particularly efficacious in Kali Yuga, hmm. and it's the principal limb of bhakti, and it is the method to treat is madness. It has a twofold effect, as you mentioned, of removing the karmic implications in our life that are manifesting now and those that haven't yet manifest they're waiting to, to get their due 
you can get rid of them before they even come, hmm? before they even get a chance to play out hmm? through kirtan. It's very efficacious. So by clearing the karma, we get a passport. It means I can get, I got a passport. I can, I can leave the country, right? I've got a passport. But it also gives you a visa because there are some places, even though you got a passport, you need a visa. So you got to be invited into Krishna Leela by bhakti. It has to be invited. You can't charge and break down the doors. You can't go there with your shoes on. It's not possible. That's an invite. See, so through kirtan, we get a visa, passport, and a visa. So both things. You can enter the Leela and you can get out of samsara, something like that. Okay, good. Get out of jail free. Hmm? Get out of jail free. Get out of jail free, yes. About kirtan, uh, what, what would you consider, like, all the aspects of, I mean, like, speaking about Krishna? There's different types of kirtan. Different types of kirtan. Reciting the Gita as a form, of, or the Puranas, the Bhagavad, that's a form of kirtan. I was just doing that recently. Um, and um, there's kirtan of the name of Krishna, and he has many names, Govinda, Ram, Gopal. Hmm. So there's much power in the name. And there's kirtan of the leelas. So there are, there, there are many leelas so they're they're put to song, and then one you can you can sing about them, and then they're contemplated in the context of singing about them, and they transport you into the into the lila, so to speak. So there's lila kirtan, there's nam kirtan. Um, if you if you if you chant, uh, uh, for example, Krishna nam, the name of Krishna on, on a mala like a rosary on a mala, and you do it out loud, that's a form of kirtan also. And if you do it silently, then it's then it's a form of smarnam or meditation. If you do it out loud, it's a form of form of kirtan. So there are many different types of kirtan. But amongst them, hmm, if we look to Chaitanya, who was got such results, if you will, from the kirtan, then nam kirtan gets the gets the gets the highest place, so to speak. That it's a, it's the most powerful. It may not be appropriate for all circumstances, but then again, it's it, there's it, it doesn't it doesn't require any rules to chant the name of Krishna. For example, you can do it anywhere. You can do it in your sleep and get benefit from it. Even it's possible. So, yes. Um, so when you're when you're singing kirtan, and and uh, is, is it is it okay to express as you feel? You know, is, is there a limit? Is there a, a way you can be offensive if you're maybe like shouting, but not like... You know. Well, I mean, there's a tradition of kirtan for, you know, decades and centuries and so forth. And, um, and there's kirtan performed by adepts that we can understand must be doing it right. Hmm? And so it would be wise to follow in their uh, example, and um, and also with regard to feeling, spiritual feeling is one thing, but it really 
um, starts to come on, if you will, as material feelings are retired and ideas. So, you know, the mental, emotional life of ourselves with its ups and downs and so forth and, and so on, um, there's an identity within there that has to be dissolved. So there's the, you know, chitta vritti nirodha. So to use the yoga term, you know, you have the, the chitta, the internal organ of perception, which is which consciousness proper reflects is reflected in and gives us a mental emotional life that needs to be cleared of some scars that are stored there and so the chaita darbana marjan the 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 chitta is compared to a mirror and the kirtan is compared to cleansing the mirror where all these impressions are reflecting on and causing you to identify with the world it puts another impression on the chitta it gives another identity that's eternal hmm, for the lila and that's full of all these feelings and all the ecstasy is coming then through the body from that but um, before really uh, enduring spiritual emotions appear there's more cleansing going on let's say for example you want to um, you know redecorate your house so I hire someone to come in and redecorate the house and I'm all excited what they're going to do and put on the walls and they come in and say take that off the wall take that off the wall pull that rug up I thought you were going to decorate the place you're telling me to take it apart you know and so the answer is I I am decorating the place but in order to decorate it I got to get rid of all the stuff that you got here that just doesn't work but first there's a little work take it all out and then gradually we put up the new wallpaper and things like that so so along with the decorating comes the cleansing. So this, this is what we should be looking for through, through Kirtan as far as symptoms. Don't think I'm going to like start rolling on the ground all of a sudden in ecstasy and you know become uh, pass out and um, and so forth. And that can happen too. But 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 you want to see that uh, look for the symptoms that the cleansing is going on. That I'm losing interest. And things that previously preoccupied me, and uh, and um, the leaves are falling, you know, from the tree here. And now there's a prospect that fruits may come. Hmm? The leaves are falling. Yeah. So what you're saying is so, do it the right way so you can get the fruit. Yeah, you want to be sincere is the main thing, you know. And there's 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 some technical ways in which you could improve kirtan. They're not as important. It's having your heart in the right place. But if your heart is in the right place, you'll want to learn also how to do it technically right. Hmm. So there, there, are, there are some uh, examples, like I say, of a person who must be doing it right. So they're good to follow. Question? Yeah, we see in the awesome community where Kirtan is becoming very popular that um, there's some Kirtan has, say, the Maha Mantra, Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. But a lot of the kirtan is focused on the demigods, Durga. Mm-hmm. So does that kind of kirtan bring the same kind of effect? Well, one thing is, like I said, you know, if you have, like, for example, you have Krishna speaking in the Gita. He speaks about kirtan. Hmm. You don't find Durga speaking, saying that in anywhere in the sacred texts where she is the voice. 
just chant my name and I'll be there. She doesn't say that. Hmm? In the Shiva Agamas and so forth, Shiva is not saying that. Um, because these are typically gods and goddesses uh, or manifestations of the, of the divine that um, that um, are central to other approaches to transcendence. Like, let me you know, Shiva is depicted as, as um, uh, sitting in meditation. He's dressed in ashes and so forth. So he's overtly a, a, a renunciate. A, a deta- he's the personification of detachment. Hmm? You know, meanwhile, Krishna's attached to Radha and he's running around and he's in love and so forth. These are very different expressions of the divine. So there's a certain approach that to transcendence that will make Shiva prominent. Hmm? And there's a certain approach to transcendence that will make Krishna prominent, and that's what we've been, been been talking about, right? Of course, what a lot of people don't know is that when Shiva's sitting in meditation, what's he meditating on? Krishna. He's meditating on Krishna. Yeah, there's many statements like that in the sacred texts. <laughs> so that's a secret thing. He's actually a devotee of Krishna at the same time. So we worship Shiva also as a devotee of Krishna. And then we have a method of worshipping Shiva, and there's ways in which, in the context of that method, we, we may chant things about Shiva. Hmm? You know, that's this a special aspect of uh, our bhakti. Hmm? Or it, it may be in relation to other faces of divinity also, that, that that's possible. Hmm? Um, but, but under themselves, for example, we don't find Shiva or Durga imploring their followers to do kirtan of their name because kirtan is is a is a limb of Vishnu bhakti. Hmm? So um, uh, I mean, it's not going to hurt you in one sense, but it's not going to give you the same result. Uh, it'd be a, be a, be, a, be a different result. There's a famous song, by the way. That is uh, written by one Govinda Das. He says, uh, "What does he say?" He says, "Bajuhure mana Sri Nanda Nanda na, abai charanada bindure, dulaba mana vajanama satsange, tarahi baba sindure." So he was from Bengal, and in Bengal you have these two sides: you have the Shaktas and the Bhaktas, so that the worshippers of Kali and the worshippers of Krishna, for example. Hmm. So different schools, right? And so he was born in a family where they where they worshipped uh, Durga. Hmm. But what he wanted to attain was something that he could get from Krishna without knowing it. So he was worshipping the goddess, and the goddess said, "You belong over there." Hmm. <laughs> You should just worship Bajuhure Manashi Nanda Nanda You should just worship the lotus feet of Krishna, with which you become fearless. What you want, I cannot give you. That you're going to get from Krishna. So his song came out of that epiphany that he had. And he sings about the worship of Krishna. It's very beautiful. So. Durga, Ma, Kijaya. We love her too. Yes, sir. 
about origins of the Jiva soul. Um, if it's not the Jiva's fault that they're in this material world, why do they have to suffer to the extent that they suffer? Like, we understand that there should be some suffering because otherwise they won't want to leave. But what is better? What is better, in your opinion, to have free will or to be a robot? Free will. Okay, you're going to choose that. Well, that's a good choice, I would say. <laughs> right? Now, if, if, if our freedom of will is what makes us alive, if you will, right? and so valuable. If we were to have that, then the opportunity to express our will in ways that are not to our advantage has to be there in order for there to be choice. Free will means that you have a choice. So if you don't have the choice to do something that's to your disadvantage, how do you have free will? You don't. Hmm? So if what we like about ourselves in one sense is that we have free will, we have to understand that what well, comes with that inherently hmm, is, the, is the possibility, an environment that provides a possibility for us to make the wrong choice. Hmm? And obviously we know that we do make wrong choices. We, 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 we do it all the time. Hmm? Did you ever do something that you, you, you knew wasn't good for you? Did you ever stop doing things that weren't, you know, good for you? So, you know, the, the environment here provides that opportunity in abundance, hmm? the Maya Shakti, if you will, to use that term. And so um, we make such choices. Now, at the same time that, so you, you know, you, you say, well, why, you know, why didn't God make us that we didn't, you know, have to? Suffer. The suffering is your own doing. That's not. That not. That's not God's doing. Hmm? Um, and if you, if you, if you, if you want him to take away your free will, are you sure you want him to do that? So it's like saying, can God make a square circle? What do you think? It's like a stupid question. You know. So can God give you free will and then ha and have no opportunity, for, no possibility for there to be suffering? Of course, the bigger picture is that God didn't make any of us. We are parts of God. We have no beginning. Hmm? We talk about God, we talk about the fire, we had to talk about its shaktis. So fire has smoke, fire has sparks, fire has heat and light, all these things. There's no beginning to any of these things, and there's no really end to any of them. Although the end of the smoke's influence on us, that could come, but smoke won't go away. <laughs> That'll still be there for somebody else. So the point here is make the right choices. We're giving, we're, we're pushing back. We're pushing back on the Maya Shakti. That's what we're doing. We're pushing back on that environment that uh, gives you that opportunity to make the wrong choice by, in a, in a prominent way, trying to give you the opportunity to make the right choice. And that comes from Bhagawan himself, who manifests the sacred texts, for example, hmm? that speak about it. Hmm? And uh, it, it, that saintly persons embody and teach, not only in precept, but by, by example. Um, so, the one becomes many, the many are small, it's a problem, so he does something about it. 
He manifests the sacred texts. He appears in different avatars. His saintly people represent him. And so there's a choice in this world. There's a force in this world of bhakti. Always. There's also the force of karma. If we're good, if we're fortunate, we come in touch with the force of bhakti, and you now we have good opportunity to make uh, the ultimate, in an ultimate sense, good, right choice to end all, all suffering. I mean, you know, there's many ways to talk about that. It's a question of theodicy. So every religion has their answers. That's part of ours, just for the, yeah, in short, in brief. All right, so we'll stop here and take Prashad, Mahaprasad ki jai. Shri Sri Gorada Mahadeva ki jai, Guru Bhakta Bhinda ki jai. Vanchakalpatur Vishya Kripasindu Veva Chapatitanam Bhavani Bhavashtami Bhavani 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 Bhavani